Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome to Forum. And as I said, families across California are finally going to be permitted to visit loved ones in nursing homes after months of being unable to have in-person visits. Updated guidelines allow indoor visits in California counties with low virus infection numbers. And we're going to hear about the new guidance and how the state is keeping elder care facilities safe. Joining us is Barbara Feder-Ostrov. She's contributing writer, reporting on medicine and health policy for CalMatters. And welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Good to have you with us. Also good to have Dr. Mike Wasserman with us. Mike Wasserman is past president of the California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine. Dr. Wasserman, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Glad to have you both. And uh, Barbara Federostrov, I'm going to begin with you, if I may. And uh, let's just talk about what these guidelines are for the moment. Uh, They were released on Friday, and uh, it means indoor visits across the state at nursing homes uh, in 46 counties. These are counties with the... uh, the non-purple county, so to speak, and um, what, what, what's actually going to be doing, uh, what, what are you going to be doing differently, particularly in terms of uh, safety precautions? Sure. So for months, nursing homes have really been between a rock and a hard place. They not only need to do everything they can to prevent COVID, they need to address the really damaging isolation of frail seniors and disabled people. They're under pressure from both families and regulators, and they're fearing lawsuits. Uh, Families have been pressuring uh, nursing homes to allow them in. Uh, Also, long-term care ombudsmen who provide kind of a watchdog uh, eye on care in nursing homes, and they haven't been allowed in either. So what this new guidance says is basically homes uh, shall offer visits, not may offer visits, which means they don't have to if they don't want to, but this is stronger guidance. They, They need to offer visits indoors, especially as the weather gets uh, cooler um, and inclement to family members to come in and see their loved ones. They can do it uh, with all kinds of precautions. So uh, homes have to have had no COVID cases for 14 days. Uh, Everybody's got to mask up. There's got to be social distancing. There's got to be traffic patterns through the um, the nursing home so that you're restricting people's movement as much as possible. You don't want families wandering all over nursing homes, including potentially into, uh, you know, kind of units where people are quarantining. So that's kind of where we are right now. Um, you know, this is really a big relief to some families, but 
families that I've talked to, they're also expressing some caution because even when the state allowed outdoor visits or window visits, family members would tell me, look, we've been asking, asking, and we still can't get in because they say they're too busy or it's too much of a hassle or they're worried about liability. So we still have to see how this plays out. Well, since the pandemic, uh, there's been in nursing homes uh, nearly 25,000 workers and residents who've been infected by the virus. Over close to 5,000 have died. And yet there's this delicate balance. Uh, I'd like you to talk about that between, uh, well, people getting the companionship they need and even caregiving that they need with their loved ones coming in or those who care about them coming in and the safety of the virus. Actually, uh, people are deteriorating from isolation in many respects. They need their loved ones to be there. And yet at the same time, the dangers, the perils are there. Sure, it's it's a really difficult balance. And you know, you've got to feel for every side uh, of this issue because the nursing homes are worried about lawsuits. They're also worried about, you know, people getting sick and healthcare workers getting infected. You know, to date, um, something like 20,000, nearly 21,000 healthcare workers have gotten sick in nursing homes. Just That's just skilled nursing facilities. That's not uh, assisted living or any other kinds of facilities that we might have in this state. And 153 of them died. You know, you've got nearly 28 residents uh, uh, being infected and nearly 4,700 actually dying, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. And what homes have done, what they did initially was just shut everything down. There was no more communal dining. There were no activities. Everyone was basically not locked in their rooms, but asked to stay in their rooms um, with, you know, maybe an occasional trip out to the doctor. Um, but, uh, and, you know, you've got TV and maybe they set up some iPads or phones for, elder, you know, for visitors uh, to see people remotely or virtually. And it's just not enough. You know, I see report after report and I've talked to so many family members that say, look, our loved ones are deteriorating. If they have dementia, their memory and their communication skills are getting worse. Last, uh, yesterday I heard uh, an ombudsman talk about a patient in a Bay Area nursing home who had lost 20 pounds since the start of the pandemic because this person's loved one had not been able to come in and do the slow feeding that this person needed to finish their meal and get all their necessary calories. Instead, they were just, you know, given five minutes with a nurse's aide here, if you don't want to eat, fine, we got to go and take care of the next patient. This is just heartbreaking. Again, we're talking about nursing homes and about the updated uh, guidance allowing for in-person visits at nursing homes in California with Barbara Federer-Ostrov, who's contributing writer, reporting on medicine and health policy for CalMatters, and Dr. Mike Wasserman, who's past president of the California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine. And Dr. Wasserman, I want to go to you and just find out the, the number of cases at, at skilled nursing homes are dropping while the opposite's true for residential care facilities such as assisted living and board and care homes. Uh, how do these new guidelines uh, apply to, well, the residential care facilities? Uh, it's a little bit unclear on that score. Yeah, you have to realize residential care facilities are regulated differently than nursing homes and they don't have the medical staff that most nursing homes have. So there's a lot more challenges. But, you know, I, I, I want to step back and, and say that, you know, when, when the pandemic started, uh, 
we, we immediately had to come up with ways of protecting residents of nursing homes and assisted livings. But I, I think what, what has been borne out with the social isolation is protecting them is one thing, you know, starving them from social activity is, is another. And it, it takes action. You, you have to do things in order to help older adults in both nursing homes and assisted livings to be able to safely uh, see their loved ones. And uh, Barbara spoke to this, you know, that, that, you know, it requires an abundance of personal protective equipment and masks. And, and you have to make sure that those things are available for the, for, for the visitors and the loved ones and, and everyone who comes in and, and visits their, their loved one needs to make sure that they're, they're washing their hands beforehand and afterwards and, and just doing everything properly. And, you know, but the I, infections I are still occurring, aren't they, Dr. Wasserman, despite precautionary well, measures? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, we are improving here in California. And the frustrating part for me as a, as a scientist is people just need to wear their masks and wash their hands and avoid enclosed spaces with people who aren't wearing their masks in order to reduce the spread of the virus. All right. I want to pick up with that, but I also want to invite listeners to join us. You can share your thoughts about the new guidance on nursing home visits right now. What's your experience? You can give us a call. I invite you to do that. Toll free. You can join us at 866-733-6786. Number for your calls again, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. what's coming up in our second hour this morning with Mina Kim. Every election year has get out the vote campaigns, but the 2020 election is seeing extraordinary levels of voter enthusiasm, engagement, and messaging, all amid a pandemic. We'll talk about this year's drive to get out the vote, and we want to hear from you. Have you participated in getting out the vote this year? Email your experience to forum at kqed.org. And for more information on the state and local propositions on the November ballot, go to kqed.org slash voter guide. That's kqed.org slash voter guide. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the updated guidance allowing for in-person visits at nursing homes throughout California. 46 counties now are are allowed with uh, the usual caveats about trying to be safe and protective. And with us is Barbara Federostrov, contributing writer who reports on medicine and health policy for CalMatters, and Dr. Mike Wasserman, who's past president of the California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine. You can share your thoughts with us about the new guidelines and let us know what your experiences are by giving us a call now. Our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. 
or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. Let me bring Teresa on as our first caller. And Teresa, join the program. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Am I on? You are on. Yeah. Okay. Hi. My name's um, Teresa Palmer. I'm I'm a um, retired nursing home doctor, and my mom is in a nursing home in San Francisco. She's 103, and um, I'm kind of going nuts because they, it took them a month or two to allow window visitation um, because the San Francisco Department of Public Health is just dragging its feet, and uh, the San Francisco and they have to defer to the local, the nursing homes have to defer to the local um, city and county, county actually. And um, so even though the state has now said we can do indoor visitation, um, San Francisco Department of Public Health is not moving on this. And, um, and the nursing home where my mother is at, the Jewish home in San Francisco, is actually selectively allowing indoor visitation but they're kind of cherry picking and they're not doing it for everyone. And they won't allow it. If you ask, they say it's not allowed. And it's seven months out. My mother's losing language. She's not eating well. Um, She's getting more and more disoriented. She's 103. I I need to see her. I'm going nuts. Is there any way to speed this up to get the San Francisco department of public health to um, allow us in? Teresa, I thank you for the call, and uh, I'm sorry about what you're going through. Uh, it sounds uh, indeed very challenging. Teresa, can you respond to her question? Excuse me, uh, Barbara Federer-Ostrov, can you respond to Teresa's question? Sure. I mean, we've been hearing this in not just in San Francisco but other counties. Um, you know, in the new guidance, uh, the state guidance, the state has traditionally left many of these kind of individual decisions to counties. So counties can always be stricter than the state's guidance. Um, the homes also have some leeway. Uh, so for example, they have to have appropriate staffing. They have to have appropriate PPE. I mean, there's there's lots of loopholes uh, for homes that don't that don't want to provide these visits for whatever reason. Um, I would just recommend, you know, getting people together, you know, there's been a lot of um, kind of group organizing among relatives of people in nursing homes. There's a lot of Facebook groups. They've been sending letters. They've been, you know, pressuring uh, counties and the state to open up more. And it seems like they've had some effect. So, um, you know, perhaps KQED could put up some resources afterwards uh, for places you can go uh, to kind of combine forces with other residents. Also, if the nursing home where your mom is has a family council, uh, you can also bring that to the attention of the family council, which can then go to the administration. And, you know, some of this may have to come from nursing home administrators in their own discussions with county health officials as well. Well, we should probably mention here that county health officials can still be allowed to ban indoor visits if they believe the local conditions are too dangerous. But I'm wondering, Dr. Wasserman, if you might be able to shed some light on, um, well, in New Jersey and Florida and Indiana, uh, they have eased restrictions. Uh, if we can look uh, to other states, uh, what can we learn or what are the effects been? Well, actually, I do want to add one thing for Teresa. Um, she should be asking to speak to the nursing home's medical director. The medical director is actually responsible for the clinical care in the facility. And, um, you know, a lot of this, 
occurs out of inertia and habit. And for families, and I've dealt with families in my own facility and, and, and others around the country, um, you've, you've got to speak out. You also have to know who to talk to. And so I would reach out to that facility's medical director, explain the circumstance, ask how you can work with them to have safe visitation. And under the new regulations, um, they should try to work with you. Um, the other part of that, and I think as, as you allude to with other states, um, from the beginning of this pandemic, uh, both federal, state, and counties have not really actively engaged experts like myself, uh, those of us in the field of geriatrics and long-term care medicine who, who knew very early on about the dangers and risks of social isolation and the need to figure out effective ways of allowing families like Teresa's to, to actually be able to see their loved ones. So uh, I think a lot of folks just sort of continue with the inertia. We need families speaking out, asking the right questions, bombarding, if you will, the county health department, the state health department with these questions. But at the facility level, reach out to the medical director, speak to the administrator, do not give up. Well, that's an excellent suggestion. Uh, used to say go to the top, and I think that's what you're advising here. Joanne writes, my mother-in-law is in a nursing home in Pennsylvania. We haven't seen her since February. I would prefer her to live a healthy life than to risk visitors coming in and bringing the virus. We'll go to more of your comments, but first let me go to another caller. That's Cameron joining us from San Mateo. Cameron, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Um, yeah, so I'm a hospice chaplain, so we've been kind of playing this balancing act from day one, and I'm wondering if these guidelines impact uh, non-clinical staff like chaplains and medical social workers who can often advocate for families in terms of especially end of life, you know, when, there's, um, when conditions are changing for, for, the, for the patients. Yeah, do you know, Barbara Federostrov, the answer to that? I think it's unclear right now. Um, ombudsmen, long-term care ombudsmen uh, in every county in California also have been having difficulty getting into homes to monitor conditions there, especially when, uh, you know, there's a complaint about care of an individual patient. So I would say, um, you know, reach out to the administrators of the homes that you want to visit. And Dr. Wasserman might also have some suggestions about that. Dr. Wasserman. Yeah, so, so from the beginning, one of the areas that did have some allowances was compassionate care. So in the case of hospice, um, that you can't get more compassionate. You're, you're talking people nearing the end of life. And again, at each individual facility, you're going to have their interpretation of the rules and the guidelines. But I, again, I think between the families and the hospice programs really need to coordinate with the leadership as you said, of the facility. Um, again, once again, medical director to me medical director. In this case, I'd have the medical director of the hospice contact the medical director of the nursing facility and let the doctors uh, get involved. And, and those of us who have experience in this area, we're really working hard to find ways of allowing safe um, visitation. You are in a group of doctors now working on guidelines for visitation, are you not, Dr. Wasserman? Yes, we actually, we saw the fact that the government and the counties weren't coming up with anything, and we put together a group of experts, and we actually published a paper at the beginning of the month, and, and we basically recommend that we really need to be 
getting to visitation and and allowing visitors in. Uh, but but again, it has to happen safely. So there's a combination. We all have to work together on this, just like we do as a society to to keep this virus from spreading. And let me bring Lori on next. Lori, thanks for waiting. Join us, please. Huh? Thank you. Um, I have a 92-year-old mother in a memory care facility up in Butte County in Chico, and I have to say I agree with uh, no inside-the-building visits. Um, We are actually allowed to do outdoor visits for a brief period, distanced with masks. Uh, They go more than six feet. It's about nine feet apart. And she's able to see us and realize that, you know, we're still around. And the protocols they put in place at this place are amazing. They've had maybe three staff issues with positive results with COVID and immediately just clamped down, shut down the place, no visits and that kind of thing. But I have to say, um, they've taken the state and county protocols very seriously, and they've even added layers of their own. And I think what we're seeing with them is that they're asking their staff pretty much for a lifestyle change in order to work there, and people are are actually complying. Well, Lori, thank you for that. And um, I'm wondering if uh, you have a response to that, Barbara Feder Restaurant? Yeah, that's really heartening, you know, and it's it's great to hear. There are some skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities around the state that have really been models for, you know, kind of trying to do the best they can to prevent isolation and to allow visits. It's, it's kind of like the philosophy Uh, It's often the philosophy of the administrators. So, for example, we had reported on um, Chaparral House in Berkeley that was doing outdoor visits and window visits early on because they thought it was really important for the residents. And, you know, it's nice to see that. um, And ideally, this would be a philosophy in a lot of nursing homes that there would be a priority towards, you know, balancing infection control with also kind of reducing isolation for their residents. And once again, Barbara Fader-Ostrov is contributing writer reporting on medicine and health policy for Cal Matters. Let me read some emails coming in. Jeanette writes, my best friend is in a nursing home for those losing memory. She has been confined to her room. She is taken for short walks only occasionally. She can be visited only through the window to her daughter. My friend is probably getting worse more quickly due to the confinement. And Allie writes, uh, if the state is allowing in-person indoor access to the most vulnerable population, why isn't the state mandating that schools do the same? Students are just as susceptible to long-term effects of prolonged absence from in-person interactions with peers, and that is not being taken as seriously as it should. Here's Claudia joining us next. Claudia? Good morning. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, So I, this summer, my grandmother um, caught COVID-19 from the outbreak in her assisted living facility and later passed away from complications. So thank you just first of all for for talking about this. And my question is that my organization, CalPERG, just put out a report showing that we still have widespread shortages of PPE in nursing homes here in California and across the country. So I'm just wondering, how can we make sure that we have all of the supplies necessary to protect residents and workers? Important question. Let me go to you, Dr. Mike Wasserman, if I may. Yeah, first, Claudia, sorry for your loss. Uh, and, you know, this has been a concern to us since since early on. Um, 
having enough personal protective equipment is actually the first tenant in CalTCM's quadruple aim. And it, it, to me, it's actually unconscionable that we do not have abundant PPE in every nursing home and every assisted living in the state right now. And, I, and, and this, is a, this is on the federal government, the state government, the county government, and the nursing home and assisted living industry. Um, and, and, and they really all have to come together to, to do this. Um, it's a, it's, it is a huge challenge. I'm actually glad you brought it up because if you listen to the folks at the state right now, and I, I actually testified at a hearing yesterday, they're acting as if there's plenty of PPE in, in all the nursing homes. And I hear stories like from yourself and others that that's not the case. And, uh, there shouldn't be a single nursing home or assisted living right now that doesn't have an abundance of PPE. And, and we, just, we just have to keep speaking up about this. It also brings up another question that you, uh, Barbara Fader-Ostrov, alluded to earlier, and I'd like to get more light on this. Uh, it's a question about liability protection. The national industry is certainly calling for that, but it's very unlikely that California legislators are going to permit it. Where are we on that? Yeah, I mean... It's- the message from the legislature and the governor's office is, nope, we're not doing liability protection for you guys. Um, however, it is happening in other states. So I think it just remains to be seen. And I think it will be illuminating to see what kind of lawsuits actually start occurring. I haven't seen very many yet, but I know they're coming. And the new guidelines, uh, Dr. Westerman, include uh, residents and staff having to be free from COVID for 14 days I believe that's the case. Yeah, that's 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 the case because that's sort of the, uh, the the period of infectiousness. So if you have someone with the virus um, in your facility, then within 14 days they they will be clear of it. So um, you know, again, this keeps evolving as we continue to learn more and more, not only about the virus but how to provide safe and protective uh, you know ways for people to interact. So, uh, Barbara Federostrov, if we don't have enough PPE, doesn't that raise questions about the new guidelines? Sure. And, you know, again, there's many outs for both counties and uh, individual nursing homes to not provide indoor visits. Um, So, yeah, I mean, a nursing home can say, well, we're not appropriately staffed or we don't have appropriate PPE. There's always been outs for these kinds of things, even for outdoor or window visits. And I, I just want to say, you know, when there was this, when, when the lockdowns in nursing homes and assisted living facilities first happened, this was really regarded as a short-term thing. And I think the balance uh, for providing, you know, ways to reduce isolation is becoming more important as the stretches on for months and months and will even get worse during our flu season. Um, in terms of trying to prevent infection. So it, it, it seems like the balance of, you know, what we should be prioritizing here is changing over time, as Dr. Wasserman said, as we learn more about the pandemic and how to protect people from it. There's a listener, Carl, who writes, uh, it's uh, certainly very poignant and disturbing. I'm going to read what he writes here and uh, I'd like a response from you, Dr. Wasserman, as well as from you, Barbara. Uh, My partner of 50 years has been living in a memory care unit for the past year. She is paralyzed on one side and does not speak. The facility instituted an across-the-board no-visitation policy regardless of cognitive state or living style. My wife can't understand the pandemic, can't communicate with video or audio phones. For her, the world 
just disappeared without reason. She was confused and terrified. Her weight dropped and she became more hostile. The whole situation is killing me. All the joy has been drained from my life and I'm denied even the ability to just sit quietly with my partner. Dr. Wasserman. Uh, Carl, uh, we all feel for you. And, and again, th this virus has really shown a light on how we treat and manage uh, our vulnerable older adults in our society. And again, I, I, I encourage you to speak out uh, to the facility, to, to work with them, to try to find a way. Um, none of us should give up right now. We all have to be working together to try to find ways of making a difference and allowing visitation in whatever form possible, because you, you are right. Um, your, your, your partner needs, you need to find a way to have an interaction with her, and we have to do better. And seconds left, Barbara fader Ostrom. Yeah, I, I feel all the sympathy in the world for, for this person and their family. And uh, I would just say, you know, organizing with other family members and keeping the pressure on uh, all levels of government and on nursing home administrators uh, will definitely have an effect going forward. I hope uh, that there will be some good effect for you, Carl, and I thank you for expressing so profound the emotions that you're going through. I, I hope you'll find some joy. Um, let me say in conclusion that I appreciate very much Barbara fader of your being with us and Dr. Mike Wasserman, your being with us, and of course, you, our listeners, being with us. You can always let us know what you think about what you hear on Forum or would like to hear on Forum by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. And let me say in conclusion that we will be back with you uh, with Grant Colfax, who is Public Health Director of San Francisco, tomorrow. Stay tuned for an hour with Mina Kim, another hour of Forum, and take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And Stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.